Hello, and welcome to the Claremont Bible Fellowship Bible Instruction Time. We now turn you over to our speaker for the day. All right, and this morning we're going to have our brother Billy Skelton come up and give us the word that the Lord has laid out in his heart. Brother Billy. Thank you. All right. Well, good morning. Today is the birth date of Rosemary. Happy birthday, Rosemary. I found that out. A little birdie told me in between the meetings. So we wish you a happy birthday and trust that uh, Bill does good by you today. If not any other day, at least today, right? So I'm good he did. Okay. Um, So our topic we mentioned just a little bit this morning is going to be God. And uh, I work in the public school system. And sometimes you may have heard it said that God's being pushed out of the schools and the public schools. Well, I'm going to tell you that God is mentioned in the public schools, sometimes on a daily basis. Here's how it works. I will tell the student, Lanny, would you please turn around and face the board? To which the student says to me, oh, my God. And I say to him, do not ascribe deity to me thus. And they look at me and wonder what I'm talking about. The use of the word God, you know that you can discuss God with people. And you'll find out there are a lot of different views of God. And so the hope today is to try to take a little bit of time to look at some things apart from Scripture. Now, I'd be remiss to not open the God's Word during our Bible instruction time. So we will turn to some Scriptures. But I'd like to start with just some different views about God. Let me get this right. Do that. Do I have to hit the blackout thing or just the slide? No, the blackout. All right. right. So there are views um, of God when you talk to people. And I talk to people, people in your circles or my circles, I talk to them. um, There will be varying views about God. Uh, Mostly you're going to find the people that you talk to will have some similarities in the way they look um, about God. They would know that God knows everything. God uh, sees everything. And a lot of these things are, are rooted in the Bible. Now, where they come up with them is, is something that perhaps I, I don't know and you don't know. Everybody does have, though, a, a base of authority or basis of authority on which they operate from. And uh, you can talk with people and find out what they think about God. And they root it somewhere. Either it was something their parents told them, it was something they were taught in school, something they were taught in their group. Uh, There are views of God that are uh, those that believe not in God at all. An atheist will not acknowledge the existence of a supreme being. There's a pantheist who sees God in everything. God is uh, not just present, everywhere present. We would believe the Bible teaches that God is omnipresent, meaning present everywhere, but not like a pantheist. A pantheist believes God is in the piano, God is in the chair, God is in the lectern here, right? That's the the view of the pantheist. Polytheist, many. There are people that outside of the three, when you leave Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, virtually every other religion is going to hold to more than one God, a polytheistic view. 
Then you have agnostics. Agnostics, it's not that they don't believe. They just say that you can't know. They, the, uh, they believe that the existence of God is something that's unknowable or unknown if you discuss with them. If you talk to a theist, and you'll find a lot of these people, they will say, I believe in God. You know that the Bible talks about the demons, right? The demons believe and shudder. They believe, by the way, in one God, not many gods. They understand who God is. But a theist, their beliefs in God would cover Allah, Odin, the God of Christianity. All of these would be a part of it. So when you begin to talk with people about God and does God exist, oh, I forgot that other slide there. Um, let me talk, let's talk about some things you can discuss before you crack the Bible. Not trying to steer you away from it, but we're going to try to use part of what our makeup, right? We're, we have an immaterial part that includes our intellect. Uh, so we're going to talk first about this uh, naturalistic argument. There are three of them, cause and effect, purpose, and man's nature. So cause and effect. If you look around the world that we live in, this is an effect, right? The chair you sit in, there was a cause that put that together. I stand behind a lectern. It is an effect. The cause, some of you know, Charlie Baker. Charlie Baker took time and material to put this together. It didn't just happen. It's an effect of something that caused it. If you look at the world outside, just about anything that you could point to outside, uh, when you're talking with somebody, if you say, well, where did this come from? How did this come about? They have two options. Either nothing caused it or something caused it. And, and if the person's being honest, they will have to agree, yes, something did cause that. Uh, they would have to admit more likely that something was the cause of this world uh, than to say that nothing caused this world. Now, that argument alone wouldn't necessarily prove the existence of God, but it would take more faith to believe that evolution or some blind intelligence could account for the intricate and complex world that we live in. The world also has a purpose or has purpose. Um, When we start thinking about how things work together, the rain cycle, the intricacies of the human eye, uh, the study of the when this we're studying the human body, how things work. I read one time an article on why we don't bleed to death when we get a cut and how the clotting process works. But it only works once there's exposure to something like air, because if there was no clotting, it would just continue to bleed out. Your heart would do its thing and pump. Why, why do all these things work so intricately? Uh, they seem to have a purpose. And I was reading a, uh, uh, a website. You, you know, Google, when you Google things, you can find out all sorts of things. And one of the things I Googled was popular views about God. And you read things and listen to people that will try to explain away a creator. Right? And, and the reasons that they can come up with. But one very reputable scientist put it this way. He said, I had to admit that the science I loved so much was powerless to answer questions such as, what is the meaning of life? Why am I here? 
Why does mathematics work anyway? If the universe had a beginning, who created it? Why are the physical constraints in the universe so finely tuned to allow the possibility of complex life forms? Why do humans have a moral sense? What happens after we die? So the non-theist answer is that this all happened by chance. But the question remains, could a random by chance action result in the highly integrated organization, which is evident in the world about us? The third thing under this naturalistic argument would be man's nature. Aside, I'm talking about the immaterial part, the nature of man. We have conscience. We have a moral nature. We have intelligence and a mental capacity. How did these things come about? Were they just the process of chance? Did we evolve to come to this? If you think about the moral nature, we'll just take that particular one, the moral nature of man, how did the idea of good and bad, right and wrong, ever come into the human culture? Man seems to have this sense of what is desirable as opposed to what is not. So where does that come from? Where does this sense come from? And on what basis does a man decide what ought to be desired and what ought not to be desired? Perhaps you've heard the term yuck factor. The yuck factor. Sometimes this is triggered by our senses. So, for example, you taste something that has a bad taste to you. Yuck. I'm going to wash it down, and I don't like that. Or I can remember this time of year when I was a, a teen going to a, uh, a haunted house in the basement of one of the uh, 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 guys' basement, and they had things to scare you, and one was you're, you're blindfolded, and you put your hand into a bowl of brains. Now, it was warm pasta, but you didn't know that, and you put your hand in there, you, oh, because they had convinced you you had touched something that was, uh, yuck, was yucky. So we have this factor that's, that re- would repel us. This last week, I heard the story of a woman who had her two children at a park, and the seven-year-old viewed two men sitting on a bench being affectionate. And the seven-year-old said, yuck. Right? There's some things that would naturally repel. That was, why was that like that? The moral nature that's, that's a part of our makeup. So there are things that, aside from the scripture, would argue for the existence of God. Now then, there are biblical arguments, um, which is where we, we tend to start as believers. I'm not advising you to start outside of the Bible. As a matter of fact, I know that that's exactly where some people would prefer to go about the discussions uh, of God because they have no recognition of a God or God's word. Or they certainly don't want that to be the basis of where you're coming from and getting your answers. There are things that are attributed to God you hear often. God helps those who help themselves. Right? Amen. Not in the Bible, isn't it? No, it's not. These are things people, people make up, and they, but they attribute it to being scriptural. So the encouragement for you as a believer is to take the word of God and to know what it teaches. So if somebody says that to you, it should send a red flag up, right? And sometimes there's an element of truth in what they say. For example, God is a loving God. 
a loving God. God is love. He would never cast people into a place like hell. Well, that's half right. God is love. We read that in the Bible. But God is holy. We read that in the Bible as well. And so we want to take the scripture as we discuss the God that is. And there are some arguments uh, for the existence of God. It's not just assumed. You may have heard this said when the few take a person to Scripture, it begins with four words, in the beginning, God. And so it never explains God, just says there he is. We're presenting him as being an existent being, God. But there are sections of Scripture. The Bible would argue for the existence of God. Brother um, Bill read Isaiah chapter 40, verses 12 through 26. It's one of my favorite when it comes to, to God, especially in the creation sense, you know, and he and explains um, who who God is. Have you not seen? Have you not heard? It, it's this, the the prophet is is you know challenging them on their recognition of who God is. David would in, in Psalm nineteen he would write, uh, "The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork. Day unto day utters speech." And night unto night reveals knowledge, and so on. We'll read the rest of these verses in just a moment. But these are a declaration of God as explained in the Scripture. There's also a section back in the book of Acts in the New Testament. In chapter 14. In chapter 14. Paul is observing the idolatry at Lystra. And in verse 14, it says of chapter 14, but when the apostles Paul, Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying and saying, men, why are you doing this, uh, this thing? It's because they wanted to, they wanted to uh, uh, sacrifice to them. They thought they were, that uh, Barnabas and Paul were Zeus and Hermes. And he, they said, we are also men, with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the sea, or sorry, the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all things that are in them, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own way. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness and that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our heart with food and gladness. The things that God, the Bible says that God does uh, to prove that he does exist. These are some biblical arguments for the existence of God. So then how is it that God reveals himself? Never know if I've hit that once or twice. Consider this, that there could be no revelation of God unless God himself takes the initiative to make himself known. There was a question Zophar asked in the book of Job in verse 7 of chapter 11. Can you search out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limits of the Almighty? And the implied answer is, no, I can't. 
I can't, unless God reveals himself, I can't know his depths. They're unsearchable. His ways, Isaiah would write, are higher than our, our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So let's look then about in what ways God has made himself known. How has God revealed himself? <clears throat> well, he's revealed himself in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Hebrews would say, God, uh, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son. We also see that the Bible itself, the Word, uh, is a way that God reveals himself. In both of these ways, we would consider specific revelation, but there's also... Uh, uh, general revelation that we would see in nature and in history. So I want to start with um, in nature itself. So back in that section of uh, Psalm chapter 19. And we're just looking at the first six verses. It begins by saying, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. The content of that revelation as being the glory and the handiwork of God, where God reveals himself. The heavens, it say, declare this. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. It's a continuous declaration. It's not just a one-time thing. God's declaring. Uh, he's revealing himself through nature. Verse 3 says, there's no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. So here we see the character of the revelation in nature. It's, it's silent. It's a silent revelation, but it is a revelation that God is making of himself. And look at the coverage of the revelation in verses 4 through 6. It says, Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. You know, even a man that's blind could sense the sun's rising and setting. When God's declaring using the heavens um, himself, when I was young, I used to have that question, you know, uh, what, what about in darkest, deepest Africa? They've never heard of Jesus. You know, God's not going to throw them into hell, is he? But the word of God assures us that God reveals himself, even to those that may not have uh, a Sunday morning service to come into and, and the word of God uh, to reveal. God reveals himself, uh, even in, in nature. Look over at Romans chapter 1. Romans 1, starting in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them. 
for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Even his eternal power in God has so that they are without excuse. So God points out that these things, if they're clearly a demonstration of God, a revelation, so much so that he says, uh, being understood by the things that are made, that says, his eternal power in Godhead. So they they are without excuse. God reveals himself in nature. God also reveals himself historically. Uh, We're thinking about that section in the book of Acts, chapter 14. And we read the verse, but I'll read it again. Acts 14, 17. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness, and that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. There's a book called The Farmer's Almanac that will actually go back historically and report temperatures, rainfall, and things of that nature. Even back in the book of Acts, it's pointed out that historically, you can look back and see the evidence of God uh, historically, where he waters the earth and gives uh, productive seasons. Perhaps you have heard this. I heard it years ago, and I find the internet's once again. You can Google some of these things and find out. The saying is of the uh, the rain. It says raineth on the just and also on the unjust fella, but chiefly on the just because the unjust hath the just's umbrella. I'm just thinking. Think that one through. That was attributed to a man named Charles Bowen. But the God does send rain. It rains on both uh, the unjust and the just alike. Historically, God also revealed himself. If you look at the book of Psalms, when he's talking to the nation of Israel, unlike um, nations today that where God has revealed himself, these are recorded in writing for us historically, that we can look back and see. And God revealed himself, uh, revealed a variety of the aspects of his being and his power to the nation of Israel. Some of them are here in, in Psalm chapter 78. And we see in Psalm 78, starting in verse number 12, marvelous things he did in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt and the field of Zon. He divided the sea and caused them to pass through He made the water stand up like a heap. and the daytime also, he led them with the cloud and all the night with the light of fire. He split the rocks in the wilderness. He gave them drink in abundance like the depths. He also brought streams out of the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers. His miraculous power is demonstrated and they documented it historically, so that we can look back and see how God has revealed himself. Later, in that same chapter, in verse 21, we reread of God's anger. It says, Therefore the Lord heard this and was furious. So a fire was kindled against Jacob, and anger also came up against Israel. We also read further in verse 26, his control over nature. He caused, it says in verse 26, an east wind 
to blow in the heavens. And by his power, he brought in the south wind. And then in verse 38, we see a demonstration of his love. But he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity and did not destroy them. Yes, many a time he turned his anger away. It did not stir up all his wrath. So we read historically a revelation of God in the scripture that would prove that uh, how God, or not his existence, but the revelation of God. But there are some things that are specific revelations, and they would be in the person of Jesus Christ, as well as in the scripture. We'll look at just a few of those as at the end here. The first would be in John chapter 1. I'm sure as you were listening to the verses I just read, one of the stories that perhaps came to mind when you're thinking of God's power over nature is when Jesus stood in the boat and commanded the wind and the waves to stop. Peace, he said, be still. A demonstration of his power. Here in John chapter 1, we read, starting in verse 14, speaking of Jesus, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him, announced him. He has demonstrated, he's revealed God, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. God's also revealed through miracles. It says in John 2, chapter 11, this beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples <clears throat> believed in him. If someone asks if you believe in miracles, your answer needs to be yes. If you do not believe in miracles, our faith is in vain because the resurrection Jesus was a miracle. Humanly speaking, dead, buried in the tomb. We've never seen an example of life regenerating like that as we did in Jesus. Jesus' body came back to life out of the grave. Miraculous. He would say, I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it up again. Christ reveals uh, God's care for us there in John chapter 14. Talking to his disciples, he says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. His care, it's where he's gone. And he says in verse 3, I'm going to come again, receive you unto myself. Jesus reveals God to us. And then humanly, we read later in that chapter, Philip asks the question in verse 8, Lord, show us the Father and is sufficient. Now, this, can, I, can I see God? Now, it said earlier, no man's seen God uh, bodily, because God is spirit. 
So Jesus gives him the answer. He says, have I not been, in verse 9, have I not been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. See, Jesus was God, or is God manifest in the flesh, human body, deity, the demonstration, the revelation of God in human form. Albeit the, the Christ during his time on earth, it says he veiled some of his attributes. When he stood on the Mount of Transfiguration, you remember how the, the, the brightness was too much for uh, Peter, James, and John, but still bodily, he would have be the revelation. So he would say to Philip, how do you then ask, show us the Father? I'm, that's, that's, that's what I am, the revelation of, of, of God. And the other would be through the Scripture itself. Uh, Bible was our inexhaustible source of information about the Son and hence the Father. Uh, these verses were read this morning in our first meeting, that account in Luke chapter 24. I'll just read that verse number 27. Jesus speaking to the two on that road to Emmaus said, In beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them and all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. The Bible is our source about, the, about God in the person of Christ. We read there in Luke 24. And then also later on in that same chapter, verses 44 to 45, then said, he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. These were things in the scripture had to be fulfilled. That's a revelation of Jesus. When you recall, there are times the Pharisees would send people, representatives or um, minions to go out and check on something. They heard about a miracle. They heard about some teaching. And what they were doing is trying to verify, is this the Messiah? How would they know what the Messiah was going to be like, look like, do? Well, they had the whole of the Old Testament. And so that, they, they, that was what they were on the lookout for. And we read in the Bible the fulfillment of scriptures reveals God to us. Lastly, in John chapter 5, in verse 39, Jesus is having a discussion there. And he says in verse 39, you, speaking to the, the, the Pharisees and the teachers there, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these, the scriptures said, these are they that testify of me. The Bible testifies of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see there the revelation specifically in the Bible. The last time I had a chance, by the way, to talk with you about this was in 2007. And when we did that, we actually went over the attributes. Now it's 12-something. I'm not going to start down the list of attributes. And I don't know if Andy's archives go back to 2007, but I did list for you verses to look up when you're thinking about what God is like. There are a number of things that the Bible would teach us that what God is like.
So hopefully these few thoughts about God, his, whether he exists, how he's revealed himself, what he is like, will be an encouragement to you this day. Let's close in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you again for the Lord Jesus Christ, and we thank you that we have the, uh, your self revealed in the person of Christ. Jesus would say to Philip, how is it he who has seen me has seen the Father. And so this morning we praise you. We praise you for having this relationship with you. And the prayer this morning, Father, is that as we, we take this knowledge of God out into the public square, wherever that may be, that we're ready, Father, to testify uh, with or without the word uh, of who you are and, and what our responsibility is before a, a holy and righteous God. And I pray this week as we go about our business, Father, that we would have opportunity to share who you are your, about your son and the gift of salvation that is available to all through him. Blessed as we part, we ask now in your son's name. Amen.